This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. It is hot out there. Summer temperatures are setting records across the southern United States and here in Florida. Last week, Miami reached a heat index in the triple digits for the 39th consecutive day. That extended the record the city had broken the week before. That's according to the National Weather Service. And if you look at a map of surface water temperatures across the Atlantic Ocean, you'll find above average temperatures basically everywhere. Florida's corals and coral reefs have been decimated over the past 40 or so years. It's estimated that only about 10% of Florida's corals remain, mostly due to diseases, but also coral bleaching, which is caused by warm water temperatures. The threshold for bleaching is around 86 degrees, and right now biologists are recording temperatures in the lower 90s offshore and in the upper 90s and even over 100 in bays. Overall, South Florida water temperatures are about 4 to 5 degrees warmer on average right now than they were last year at this time, and this is leading to widespread bleaching events that are happening earlier than would be expected. Corals and the reefs they help build are critical habitats for all sorts of marine life and key drivers of the economy, especially in the Florida Keys. To get some context on what's unfolding this summer and what the implications are for what's left of Florida's corals, I spoke earlier today with two marine biologists who are monitoring our corals and how they're being impacted so far this summer. Let's hear that conversation now. Jennifer Stein is a marine biologist with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Research Institute. She manages and coordinates the Florida Disturbance Response Monitoring Program. It's part of the Florida Reef Resilience Program. Jennifer, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Thank you. Good to be here. And Katie Cummings is a marine biologist and coral outreach specialist with the FWC's coral program. Katie, thanks to you as well. Thank you, Mike. So uh, we'll get to what's unfolding this summer in a bit, but I want to lay some groundwork so we have some context. Uh, Can you tell me what the Florida Reef Resilience Program is and how it came about? Uh, Sure can. So uh, I guess back in 2004, the Nature Conservancy helped facilitate this collaborative network between DEP, who really manages the northern half of the Florida Reef Tract, and then the uh, National Marine Sanctuary, who manages the Florida Keys, as well as some managers from the Great Barrier Reef Reef Marine Park Authority, so they could collaborate and share knowledge across the different organizations in Florida, as well as across the world with managers that deal with very similar issues and impacts that we do here in Florida. The Nature Conservancy kind of helped facilitate this collaborative network. Um, So it started in 2004, but over the history of the program, it's really evolved into this large network of reef managers and scientists and conservation organizations um, with their kind of common mission is to develop and implement and support resilience-based management strategies. So over the life of this program, they've developed several planning documents that coordinate a more holistic approach to managing and studying Florida's coral reef. So what is the disturbance response monitoring program? Yes, so great question. So one of the documents are these planning documents that the FRP developed was the Florida Bleaching Response Plan. Um, This was developed in 2005 in response to the mass bleaching event that we had in 2005. And this bleaching response plan was developed to outline the steps needed to predict and implement and act on coral bleaching events and other related events such as disease. So the the disturbance response monitoring is really the impact assessment of this bleaching response plan. 
and it's designed to monitor the shallow reefs of the Florida reef track during the peak annual temperature. So that's, you know, August through October. So like I said, it was sparked by the severe bleaching event in 2005 is when they first implemented the disturbance response monitoring. Um, and it kind of seems through the name that it would only take place like during uh, like an extreme disturbance, like an extreme bleaching event. But we actually implement this program every year because the FRP really recognizes that impacts can't always be predicted and that conditions change quickly and other impacts such as disease have other driving factors that aren't just increased temperatures. And also in order for us to compare reef conditions between years and bleaching events, it's important for us to know the health of our corals and how they change from year to year. You know, I was looking up that 2005 event in the Keys, trying to get some context on what the water temperatures were then as compared to now. And it looks like the water temperatures got up to the high 80s during that event, and it's considerably higher than that now, right? Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that's really alarming about this event is that we are seeing those really high temperatures, but they happened very, very quickly and about a month early that we would ever expect these high temperatures to be on our reef. So not only did they come early, but because they increased so rapidly, corals really had no time for any type of acclimation. And they really have just gone from, you know, these early summer temperatures to well above their bleaching threshold in a very short amount of time. Explain what bleaching is and, you know, and as part of that answer, sort of what corals are for people who don't realize that it's not necessarily the, the structure that you see that is the coral. So corals are, you know, they're animals. There are marine invertebrates and they're closely related to anemones. Um, and they typically form these compact colonies of many identical polyps and each polyp has its own stomach and surrounded by tentacles. So that's really kind of what a coral is. But the main thing about our corals is that they are the structure that builds our reef. And they secrete calcium and grow these hard skeletons. Um, and as they grow, they grow outward and are really what's building our reefs. How corals grow and feed, they have a couple of different methods. So corals will filthy feed by using their tentacles and they'll capture zooplankton and different particulates out of the water column. But because they can't move and their tentacles are pretty short, they're really not that efficient at filter feeding. So their second uh, form of getting energy is they have what we call zooxanthellae. And these are really tiny dinoflagellates that live in their surface tissue. And that's really what gives them their color. So they have this symbiotic relationship um, where the coral gets of photosynthetic energy from them, and they also get energy from the coral. So what happens when a coral heats up is that these dinoflagellates or these zooxanthellae start to kind of excrete um, these chemicals that are kind of harmful to the coral. So the coral will actually expel all these zooxanthellae from its tissue, and its tissue is then clear. And what you're seeing when you see a bleached coral is just the white skeleton underneath. That tissue is actually still on the surface of the coral. But if you can imagine, if you lose your major source of energy, these corals are essentially living off 
a 200, 300 calorie diet. So could you imagine living off two to 300 calories per day? Probably not. So essentially without these zooxanthellae living in their skin, they're kind of slowly starving. So a coral can survive a bleaching if it's a short amount of time. So it's hungry, it really needs food and okay, the temperatures are coming back down and it can actually open up and take that zooxanthellae back in because it's also less stressed. But if we have these temperatures that really prolong, then these corals are just kind of slowly starving to death. Um, generally speaking, how degraded are Florida's corals today versus a decade or more ago? We don't have great information dating back into like the 60s and 70s. So it's hard for us to really determine kind of where our coral reefs really started. What, it, what have we lost since then? But we have been monitoring the reef probably since about, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s. And just from kind of conversations with people and looking at past uh, publications that didn't really provide exact numbers, we can think that maybe our reef had about 20 to 40% coral cover. Since we've started monitoring, we have seen about 12% coral cover when we first started in about like the late to mid 90s. And now through bleaching events and hurricanes and other types of disease events, we are currently on average about 6% coral cover. And Katie, did I miss anything there? No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, since the start of our FWC monitoring, we've seen a loss of about 60% of the coral, but because our monitoring started after um, a lot of loss had already occurred, the true scale of the loss is a, probably a lot higher than that. And so we can safely say the majority of our reef is already gone. And so what we're seeing now is kind of, you know, what's what's left, the very small amount that is left. You know, what are we seeing this year in terms of water temperature? And you said it's earlier than it normally would be. I mean, is this year mm -hmm. shaping up to be an outlier? And, and could it really be a significant impact on what is left? Yeah, so in the upper keys, we have water temperatures that are ranging from 31 to 33 degrees Celsius or 87 to 91 degrees Fahrenheit. And in kind of our nearshore waters, we're even getting higher and higher, like we talked about earlier. Um, and in the bay, high 90s, which is way above the bleaching threshold. Our bleaching threshold, we've estimated to be about 86 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's when corals really get so stressed that they kind of have to start um, expelling some amount of those zooxanthellae. So what is unprecedented about this year, though, is that it happened so early and it, the water temperatures increased so rapidly. We were at some of the same reefs one to two weeks ago and they, they looked fine. And now we have corals that are already dying. In those so same it happened locations. Very, very fast. Um, also to give you some perspective from last year, um, the water temperatures now are about four to five degrees Fahrenheit warmer this year than they were at the same time last year. 
you said that the water temperatures get much higher in the bays. Are there corals in the bays, or is that a place where corals aren't, but that water temperature still could affect corals down the, down the line? So we do have um, species of corals that are in the bay, uh, some of our more weedy species, and we do actually get some larger, um, more massive forming species out there, but it's not necessarily forming a coral reef like it does on the Atlantic side of, of, of Florida. So they are kind of smattered in hard bottom areas with sponges and some seagrass and things like that. But the actual reef system is you know, on the Atlantic side. The areas that have um, kind of open water exchange, so pretty much anywhere there's a bridge in the Florida Keys, you can get that water, that really hot water outflowing from the bay over the reef. You guys, or at least Jennifer, I think you were out on the water yesterday or in the water. Can you tell us what you saw? So, yeah, we um, wanted to check on some of our long-term monitoring sites. So we have some long-term monitoring of Acropora palmata, and that's your Elkhorn coral. And we had some reports of disease a couple of weeks ago, and we wanted to go and do some follow-up surveys. But what we found that was most startling was the amount of bleaching we were seeing on these colonies. Um, the disease that had gone through was not as extreme as what we were seeing as far as bleaching. Um, and so we were out at Lou Key, which is kind of you know one of the iconic reefs, um, typically considered to be pretty healthy. And we were seeing our elkhorn corals bleaching, and we were also seeing some of our larger massive corals bleaching. So it was a little startling, and also the temperature didn't seem to, I mean, it's obviously not as hot as it was on the near shore, but it's still so warm. And typically in the summer, you'll have kind of that first 20 feet be really warm. And once you get down to like 20 or 30 feet, you get a little bit cooler waters. But what we're seeing really is kind of this top to bottom, like, similar temperatures. We're not having that cooler bottom relief where your corals actually are. They're not getting those cooler temperatures. So it was, it's startling to see the amount of bleaching and also, you know, these warm temperatures going the entire water column. Yeah. And Lou is a little bit further offshore and a little bit deeper. Um, but after we went to Lou, we also went to Newfoundland, Newfound Harbor, which is a patch reef off of Big Pine Key. And there, the water temperatures were 93 degrees Fahrenheit. And there, we pretty much saw every single coral was bleaching. Um, quite a few were already completely dead. Um, one of the most striking things to me there, too, was um, a lot of the octocorals. So that's like your sea fans and your sea plumes. They look like they had essentially like melted, like you could shake them and their tissue was dead and would just slough off of them. Um, I presume that it's not just the water temperature, but how long it stays that temperature. And you say this is like an early onset event. Um, if, if it stays this hot all summer or even gets hotter, you know, is that are, is, are, are all corals going to be really, really harmed this summer? Yeah, that's that's what we're afraid of. I mean, it happened very quickly, very early. And so really what's going to give us the most relief is these storms, um, tropical depression, things like that, because 
not only do they kind of churn up that surface water, bring in a lot of wind, bring in a lot of rain, but if you get kind of these larger storms offshore, we get what's called this um, cold water or this deep water upwellings, which usually brings in colder water. And so that is one of the things that really does help cool off the reef. Obviously, we don't want a giant hurricane coming through Florida. That's the last thing we want because um, that will actually damage the reef. But if we get kind of these, you know, periodic storms throughout the summer and a larger um, tropical depressions or things like that, where we could actually get some cold water upwelling, that's really going to help bring the temperatures down. Um, as an example, last year we were seeing some thermal stress um, along the reef track and then Ian came through and it really knocked down the temperatures and we didn't see them come up after that event happened. So we will need some types of storms and rain events happening to cool down the water throughout the summer or else, yes, these prolonged hot water temperatures will essentially kill, uh, you know, whatever corals um, that can't handle that amount of bleaching. Is there anything that can be done to mitigate what's happening or is this completely out of human control? Well, Katie's reached out to several people talking about this on one of the forums that we have called Coralist. And there is a lot of experimental work that's being done. Um, but these are really small scale applications. It's tough to find anything that's gonna work on a large scale such as our reef system. If anything, um, innovative was implemented, it would be at a very small scale at a single reef level. And these kind of things include shading a reef or even pumping cold water onto a reef. But not only are they small scale, but they're difficult to do with limited capacity. You know, you need people to monitor them. You need people to put them away when a storm comes and so it's, it's a lot of different things that involve capacity, um, and we haven't got to that point where we're implementing these types of innovations. Did you get any other information from the people on Coralist? I, I have not on that end, but on the side of the, the people doing coral restoration, some of the things that they are doing now to at least protect the corals that they have out in their um, in-water nurseries, so like the coral trees and things like that that you may have heard of, um, they're actually either moving the corals out of the water and um, into essentially, you know, tanks on on land, um, or they are moving their nurseries deeper. Hmm. So we are doing things things like that. But yeah, as of as of right now, there's really not a whole lot we can do for the for the wild reefs other than, you know, hope we get storms and clouds. Um, you know, I looked at some uh, maps of water temperatures across the Atlantic, and it looks like it's pretty much universally well above average. And there are obviously corals and reefs all over the place. Is this a problem that extends well beyond, you know, South Florida? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's um, I know there's bleaching um, in many other places throughout the Caribbean. Um, and I've also heard of a, a couple of places around the Pacific as well. Last uh, question, or just, you know, to make a point, um, can you explain, you know, why reefs are important to the ecosystem um, and, you know, the corals and the role they play? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard of this analogy, but they are kind of the rainforests of the sea. They don't take up a lot of, you know, area across 
the the world's oceans, but they still you can find over a quarter of the marine life like on a reef. So they're very important for that in a general sense. And then here in Florida, you know, here in the Keys, they're part of our identity. Um, they're very important for our economy, both through people visiting us to go diving and fishing on them, um, but then also on kind of the more commercial fishery side. Um, so yeah, they they bring in, you know, billions of dollars to our economy. And then they're also kind of a money saver for us too, because um, they provide physical protection against like storm storm surge and things like that. Uh, one quick follow-up question. Uh, presumably this is not good for all the marine life. It's not just the corals. Uh, can you give any sense of, especially in those bays where the water's up over a hundred, you know, how are fish and other marine life handling it? Yeah, we, we're also experiencing um, some fish kills um, in the bay and also along the reef. We've had some reports of fish kills and um, conch. We've had identification of conch kills due to these thermal stress. Uh, seagrass is also um, subject to this temperature fluctuations as well. And we're, if we're losing grass, we're also losing more habitat. Um, so a lot of what's in the bay is kind of a nursery for what comes out onto the reef. So if we're losing habitat and species in the bay because of hot water temperatures, essentially um, that's taking away from our reef as well. So we are receiving lots of reports of other, you know, fish kills and animal kills all related to this thermal event. Especially concerning and timely for lobster oh, mini yeah. season. A lot of juvenile lobsters live in the bay and you know there's it's definitely going to be interesting to see the data that comes out of this because they're they're so small that they can't really walk away from the hot water and they are definitely like well above their healthy temperature ranges. Well, let's hope for some rain and some very mild tropical events that only provide benefit and not damage. Um, but that is all the time I have. I want to thank my guests. Uh, Jennifer Stein is a marine biologist with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Research Institute. She manages and coordinates the Florida Disturbance Response Monitoring Program developed by the Florida Reef Resilience Program. Jennifer, thanks for your time and for helping us understand what's happening to our corals down there. Of course, you're welcome. And Katie Cummings is a marine biologist and coral outreach specialist with the FWC's coral program. Katie, thanks to you as well. Thank you. You can find photos and videos they took yesterday while diving and others taken earlier this summer on our website, wgcu.org gcl. You can find links to past shows we've done on the many threats Florida's corals face and efforts to grow corals to restore the reefs on our website as well. If you missed any of the show today, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website or wherever you find podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Jared Gonzalez. Our social media coordinator is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO Marco Island 91.7 FM, NPR for Southwest Florida.